Good morning. Try it again. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you guys are here worshiping with us on this Sunday. Welcome to Faith Bible Fellowship. I'm Ricardo, one of the leaders here. We're just happy and blessed that you guys decided to join us this week. It was a good week. It was a nice week, wasn't it? The weather. We've enjoyed the weather. It was nice, warm weather. Zion, our son, enjoyed it. He enjoyed being out finally and running around and getting all that energy out. So we're just looking forward to the spring and to the good weather. And so, yeah, we thought today was going to be like that, but it's gloomy. But still, the Lord is still reigns. Um, so we're still going to be going through our book in Philippians. We're going to continue. We're going to finish the second chapter. So we're going to be in verses 19 through 30. So we're going to just make our way and finish that. And hopefully it's good and it's edifying for you guys. I don't know about you guys, but I, I remember growing up, I always had people in my life who, who I considered role models for, 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 certain, for certain reasons, whether it was an athlete or, or a movie star or whoever it may be. Like people that I look to and I look to emulate certain things in my life towards, whether it's from the way that I dress to the way that I talked or walked or the way that I interacted with people. That I believe we all at some point have role models or people that we looked up to, whether it's when we were younger or even now, like we have people who perhaps in the faith who we really look up to their ministry and things like that. And so we have these people that, that we have role models all throughout this world, all throughout our lives, people that we try to emulate and look up to. And I believe what happens is when we come to, to this chapter, to this, these passages in Philippians, that, that Timothy, I mean, that Paul is focusing on, on two men and he's using them as, as living, tangible examples for the church in, in Philippi to, to, to make, mimic, to look at these men, men that they've known, men that have been a part of their church. And has, he's saying them, he's explaining them, he's going to send them to them. And he's, these are examples for the church to mimic. These are men that they should strive to be like. And so I believe that, that this is, that God sometimes just sends people in our life, that through his mercy and through his grace, he sends people in our life who are to be edifying to us, who, who, are for, who we are to look to, and we are to try to emulate them and look like them and, and just use them as role models. And I believe that's, that's what's happening here at the end of chapter 2 in Philippians, because really, if you look at the rest of Paul's letter, he saves kind of his, his travel itinerary for, for the end of the letters. Usually towards the end of his letters, he's writing about him either coming or going or, he, or where he's going to go or, or who he's going to send. And really, he kind of breaks that, that mode here in Philippians and kind of right down in the smack down in the middle of the book. Paul goes into to a sense of travel itinerary for, for the Philippians that he's going to send soon. Not yet, but he's gonna, he wants to send Timothy to them. And he's going to send, as soon as he can, he's going to send Epaphroditus there as well. So he kind of breaks that mode. And I believe that, that Paul breaks this mode because what he's trying to do, he's trying to show that for what he's been talking about for the previous two chapters, about what it means to love and, and what it means to be transformed by the gospel, what it means to, to just live out your faith. He's, he's, he wants to show the Philippians, these are men who are in your church who have been there that you should emulate. These are living examples of, of what Paul has been talking about all throughout this book, about what it means to... So as we see in, in verse 127 to, to, um, 
Hold, live your life worthy of the gospel. These are men who, who are living that out. Men who, who aren't selfish, who aren't seeking their own ambition, but, but who are in humility, who are humbled, who count others more significant than ourselves. So we come to this passage where, where Paul is trying to give the people of Philippi living examples of what it means to live out what he's been telling them up to this point in, in, this, in this book. So if you're if with me, if you can turn to Philippians 2. For, like I said, we're going to be in the last part, verses 19 through 30. And as we've been making it a practice throughout the past couple months, we can just stand for the reading of God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send, send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your mess, messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father God, we... We humble ourselves and we come before your throne and we kneel before your throne of, of mercy and grace, Lord. And we acknowledge that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings, Father God. That, that you are the ruler, that you are sovereign over all things here on earth and in heaven. Lord, we ask that you bless this time that we have together, Lord. This time that we've come and we've dedicated to you, that we sing songs of worship and praise, Father God. And as we sit under your word, Lord, we ask that you use this time to help us grow in our faith with you and our understanding of you, Lord. That, that when we leave today, we leave people who've been changed, who've grown by your word, Father God. We thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you be with us, Lord, that you eliminate any distractions we may have, Lord, that we may just take the next several moments, Lord, to focus in on your word, Lord, on who you are, Father God. Convict us where we need conviction, Father God. Chip away the errors that that are not edifying, that are not glorifying to you, Father God. Mold us into the men and women of Christ who you called us to be, Lord. Be with me, Lord. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be edifying to this congregation. In your holy majesty name we pray. Amen. So, so like I said, we, we see that, that we have tangible, these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are, are, are examples who are, in a sense, to be mimicked. That, that the church of Philippi, he's calling them, he's giving them examples to show them what it means to live for Christ. And this all comes from, first and foremost, a proper understanding of who God is. I've 
probably said this every time I'm up here, and I probably will continue, that, that our understanding, our theology, and our doctrine really shape how we look and who we think God is. And we see this in verse 19 at the beginning, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And it's this understanding that Paul understands that Jesus is Lord over everything and that he is the sovereign ruler of all. And that nothing happens, that everything is up to the sovereign God. And saying, I'm hoping that, that in God, that this happens for, for your sake. He understands that ultimately God is in control of everything. That everything happens because God is allowing it to happen. So it's having this proper understanding. And once we have a proper understanding of, of who God is, then we're able to allow God to kind of just take over the rest of our life, to give it up to him, in a sense, to be transformed by the gospel. And so I just wanted to point that out because I believe it's important that we have to understand who God is. And a proper understanding of who God is will affect the rest of our lives and everything that we do in Christ. My first point, I got, I got four points to you, and I'm going to use two, two qualities that I see that Paul says in Timothy, and two that he says in Epaphroditus, and hopefully that can apply to us and how we live our lives from here on out. So the first is to be transformed by the gospel is to have compassion for other Christians. This idea that, that we look at, at Timothy's life and we look at Epaphroditus' life and we look at the life of, of Paul and, and that they've been so, that God grabbed them out of their wickedness, that God grabbed them out of their wretchedness, and that they've been transformed by the living gospel and now dedicate their lives to Christ. And because they've been transformed, as we see in Timothy, he has a compassion, not just compassion for people, but specifically a compassion for other Christians. We see this in, in, verse tw- in, in verse 20. For I have no one like him, or, or some translation says, of like mind or of like soul, that, that, that Timothy is, is so like Paul. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That, 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 that as King James states, that he cares for their state, that, that he cares about their interests, that Timothy has a genuine concern for the people of Philippi. That he's heard about what they've gone through and his heart is filled with compassion, filled with sympathy. And that Paul says, and I know that I have no one like him, that he genuinely is concerned about your welfare. That he, he's been there from the beginning. And we know if we, if, if we read in Acts 16 that we know that, that, when, that when Paul, on his second missionary trip, calls Timothy when he was in Lystra, he calls him, and the next place they go to is Philippi, and that's when the church of Philippi is founded in Acts 16. So we see that, that Timothy has been there from the very beginning, from when the church first was founded. So he knows these people. He's been there. He helped, in a sense, plant this, these churches in Philippi. He's been a part of it, really for the past 10 years, because if we look and understand that, and we believe that this letter was written while Paul was in prison in Rome, which is around 62 A.D., and Paul's second missionary trip began around 49-51 A.D. So it's been about 10 years since the church has pl- been planted. And so we can imagine that Timothy's been a part of this ever since then. That he's been addressing issues, and, he's, and he makes this a practice, Paul does, of sending Timothy to places that, that needs work. So we see that, that Timothy has a care and love to be genuinely concerned for someone, is to have a love for them, and is to care for them for their genuine welfare, for their state of being. 
And we're called to do this. Paul says in Colossians 3.12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That, that we are to put these things on as, as God's chosen people. That we are to put on compassionate hearts. That we are to put on and walk out in kindness. That we are to put on humility and meekness and be patient with one another. That's what we're called to as God's chosen people. That Timothy's love and compassion for the church comes from seeking out their interests. We see that in, in, in 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That Timothy really does care about the people in Philippi. More so than probably those people who Paul was talking about in Philippians 1, where he's talking about those who, who preach the gospel out of selfish ambition and conceit. This is the opposite of that. That Paul's saying that Timothy is the opposite of those people. So we see that, that Timothy has been so transformed by the gospel. He's come to, to know the living God. And that we see that the gospel in us produces not only a love for God, but also a love for others who are in Christ. And that's what the gospel does for us. That, that, that the moment that we're regenerated and we come to, to accept and, and, and know who God is and accept him as Lord and Savior, we have a love for God that we did not know beforehand. But at that same moment, at that same time, we also have start to have a love for others who are in Christ. First John 5 1 says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. So we are called to love and have compassion for our, for our other brothers and sisters in Christ. That we are to, to be concerned for their welfare and that we are to look for the interests and try to serve them however we can. And love on them when the time calls. And sometimes having compassion for, for, for other believers is not only serving them and being there with them in their time of need. And bringing and having an arm around them, praying with them, crying with them. But also sometimes compassion means that, that we... Confront people who are living in sin because we understand that the, the love of God, we understand the gospel, we understand that there has to be a restoration. Sometimes having compassion for people is to keep sharing the love of Christ with them. That to have compassion for those is, is to see that, that they still need to have a restoration with Christ. Sometimes compassion means being a little bit confrontational for their sake of their soul. That we call out people who are, who are knowingly, willingly living in sin because we want them to see, want to see them restored to the living God. And we have instructions in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Like Jesus gives us instructions on how to deal with people who, who've sinned against you. When you feel like you've been wrong, it's, Jesus says you can't confront people. And if, if it doesn't work out, then you come back with two or more. And you continue to try to work that out. That we just do not, to have compassion for people does not mean that we simply ignore bad behavior at times. But that we, in a love for them, in a compassion for them, in seeing them, wanting to see them being restored, that we come to them and we try to walk them back to the cross. We try to walk them back to, to having a faith that works out, that they understand. First Timothy 5.20 says, As for those who persist, persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, 
so that the rest may stand in fear. That there comes a time where we have to, out of the compassion of our hearts, out of the love and out of the transformation of the gospel and wanting to see people come to know the living God or be restored to living God, that sometimes we have to confront. That's what it means sometimes to have compassion, not just to ignore because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but that we truly want to see them come back to the living God. Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, and the men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That we stand on the word of God and on the word of God alone. That, that our emotions, that our feelings don't play a role in it, but, but that we have to, first and foremost, come back to the actual living word of God and see what the word of God says. And that's how we come and realize that we are to live out, that we are to show compassion. We are to be concerned for, for the welfare of other Christians. And sometimes that looks two different ways, but it's all under the same thing. We are to have compassion. Galatians 6 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, who you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here we're called to restore them in the spirit. That restore them to, to, to who God is, bring them back to God in the spirit of gentleness. And, and the truth is that we cannot restore people to Christ. At first, we're not really to showing them that the restoration is needed. That sometimes people are so blind and are so used to living in their sin that they don't see what they're doing is sin. And, and, and this isn't easy. This is hard. And, and people might not like it. One of, one of my, my, my best friends, one of my really good friends who I've known for a while, who was the best man at my, at my marriage, at my wedding, he... He's going through a rough time, and we went from talking about once a week to now we probably talked once every couple months. And he's had a rough time where things weren't working out for him. But in that, he felt like he was still justified to live in sin, that it's okay for him to live with his girlfriend, that it's okay for him to have a child out of wetlock. And I had to, knowing his heart, knowing that we've done ministry together, Call him back to the gospel. Call him back to Christ and show him that what he's doing is living in his sin. That he needs to repent before a holy and righteous God. And sometimes people don't like that. But, but that's, I believe, that's what it means to have compassion. I have such a concern for, for his soul that I want to see him restored to Christ. But I cannot do that unless I'm willing to, to, to end my compassion, end my concern for his welfare, end my concern for his soul, call, out, call him out where he needs to be called out. And keep pointing him back to the gospel and keep trying to bring him back to the gospel. Sometimes, out of compassion, we may look like the bad people. Sometimes it's hard. You know, I try to raise my son in ways and, and try to teach him what it means to be a man and teach him what it means to obey. And sometimes I'm the bad person. I have to be willing sometimes to, to be the person who, who sometimes makes him cry or, or who he's angry at. All to, to raise him up in the ways of God. 
But it's out of my love and my compassion for my son to see him want to be a man of God that I'm willing to at times be that bad person. Be that person who who may make him cry because I want to see him raised up in the ways of God. So to be transformed by the gospel is to be compassionate for other Christians. And at times that looks different. Like I said, whether it's coming around them and uplifting them, whether it's coming around them and and showing them where they're falling short of the glory of God, that it all falls under the same thing, that it comes from a heart of compassion. My second point, to be transformed by the gospel is to work on behalf of the gospel. And we see this in verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Since he has served with me in the gospel, or as the NASB puts it. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. That Timothy, Paul, Paul is sending Timothy to the church of Philippi because Timothy has put in the work. They know his proven worth. Like I said earlier, that he's been, he's been there since the inception of this church, that it's been almost 10 years, and that Timothy has been a part of that, and they understand, they know who Timothy is. They know his proven worth. And that, and that Timothy has been so transformed by the gospel that he's willing to go wherever he's needed to go. We see this in 1 Corinthians 4.17. This is why, this is Paul speaking to the, to, to the church of Corinthians, Corinth, that this is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. That Paul had, that, that Timothy was so about the gospel and putting in work on behalf of the gospel that Paul was sending Timothy just wherever he was needed. Where there was a need, where maybe the church was struggling, Paul is sending Timothy and he's putting that work. He, he's putting the time, the effort. We see in, in, in Acts 16 that, that, that Paul, that Timothy was so about wanting to work and preach the gospel that he was willing to be circumcised. We see that in Acts 16 too. And we're, and we're talking about a grown man here. Like that's, that's commitment. And he's so committed to doing the work of Christ, to, to work on behalf of the gospel, to bring it to areas that is needed, to bring people back to God, that he was willing to do that to himself. To be transformed by the gospel, to understand that that we are sinners, but that we have a God who's more gracious and and more loving than anything that we can do. To understand that we should be wanting to work on behalf of the gospel. We should be wanting to proclaim the truths of the gospel to people. And we're called to that. We see that in, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says to them, and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Or as it says in, in Mark 16, 15, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to, to the whole creation. So what does it mean to, to put in work on behalf of the gospel? It's to proclaim the truths of the gospel. 
in a sense, as, as we've come to know it, it's, it's to evangelize. It's to share how God has loved you, has transformed you, has pulled you out of your mess and made you a new creation. And it's to take that to people. It's to share the love of God in Christ of your life with people. To put in the work on the gospel is to evangelize. It's to preach the gospel to people. And we have this, this opportunity coming this Saturday with the egg hunt. It's a great time. We were here last year. And what I mean, like this, this sanctuary was filled. Filled with people. People from our church, but also people from the community. And it's a great time to come and just share God's love with people just in, in conversation. Like we're going to have the gospel presentation here. We're going to present the gospel. And we're going to hopefully people will be saved. But, but we also have partaken that. We can come and help by, by putting out the candy, the eggs when, when, when it's time. But also just being here to have conversations with people. That some of these people is the first time they've been in church in a while. They maybe never been in church before. But it's an opportunity to come and sit amongst other people and preach the gospel. Love on people by sharing God's love with them. That we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone to to share with others. And to talk about the love of Christ and about the mercy and grace that's found at the cross and at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that, that we've been so transformed by that, that we can't even fathom why God chooses us, but, but he does. And in that, we're so in awe of God that we want to, we should be desiring to share that with people. That, that as it says in Romans 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And that's how we are called to live our lives. And we saw that, that this is how Timothy lived out his life. And this is how, how Paul is sending Timothy there. He's trying to show them, this is how you should be living out your life. You should be working for, on behalf of the gospel. And more specifically, we should be preaching the gospel, proclaiming it to those who haven't heard it, who aren't saved, in the hopes to, win, to bring them to, to God's side, the hopes that God regenerates them. Moving on, my third point. To be transformed by the gospel is to put others first. We see this in, in, in great detail with, with Epaphroditus, verses 25 through 27. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. This is the first time that we hear of of Epaphroditus, and and he comes up again at the end of the book, and we understand that he was a part of the envoy that was taking Timothy, this gift that the Philippians were giving to him, that he was chosen from amongst the church to go and, and, and give this monetary gift to Paul. And at some point, and we don't know, whether it was on the way or whether it was while he was in Rome, but at some point he got sick. And word got back, whether it was someone else from the envoy or someone else took word back to the, to the church, that, that he was sick. And in his sickness, in his illness, and it says he was, he was near to death, what is Epaphroditus more concerned about? 
It says that he is distressed. He's been longing for you all, distressed because you heard that he was ill. That, that in his sickness, and, and, and perhaps even on his dying bed, he's more concerned about the fact that there's his brothers and sisters back at his home church who are concerned about him. That at, at, at his deathbed, essentially. What is he most concerned about? He's most concerned that there's people who are worried about him. That he's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about himself. He's not trying to think, how can I get better? But he's, as it says, he's distressed. That, that in his sickness, he, he's even stressed out. Not stressed out because he's sick, but he's stressed out because he's worried about how the people back home are reacting. He understood the gospel. He's, he's been so transformed by it that he's more concerned about other people. This is what it means in verse 21 as we look back. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That, that, that he's been so transformed by the gospel that, that to seek the interests of Christ is essentially to seek the interests and concerns of other Christians. That this is the opposite of, of verses one of chapter one, verses fifteen and seventeen, where he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And he's saying that this is the polar opposite of that. That he's distressed, that he's more concerned about his brothers and sisters than he is about his own health. He, he, he's living out what we, what we read a couple of weeks ago in, in, in chapters 2, 3, to 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. He thought that, that the people of his church were meant more to him than himself, that he's worried about them in his death, in his illness. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We understand that, that, that he is a living example to the Philippians of what it means to put others' interests ahead of yourself. And that only comes from being transformed by the gospel, from having a proper understanding of who God is, from having a proper understanding of, of what the work of the cross is, of, of the weightiness of your own sin, but to still, and because you've been forgiven by God, he's been able to say, I'm more concerned about other people than myself. He risked a lot. You see that in, in verses 418, that, that I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And his willingness to serve Paul, to minister to my need, as it says at the end of verse 25, that he's risked a lot for, for other people, that he's put even Paul's needs before his own. Like I said, we don't know when he got sick, whether it was on the way to where Paul was or whether it was after he got there. But while there, Paul still says, even though he's sick, that he's a minister to my need. That in his sickness, in his illness, he's still serving Paul and he's still concerned about the people back home because they've heard about his illness 
and that they may be stressing and they're worried and about their well-being. He's concerned about that more than his own self. We see that that Epaphroditus has been so transformed by the gospel that, that, that he, he doesn't even think about himself. And that's something that we should be striving for, to serve one another, to love one another, to put others' interests before our own. My last point, to be transformed by the gospel is to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We see this in in verses 29 through 30. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. For For he nearly died for the work of Christ. That, that, that he, he was grabbed by God and that in, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his wretchedness, he's been so transformed by the love of God, by, by the work of Christ on the cross, that he's willing to risk his own life for, for the work of Christ. He has this understanding of what we see in Mark 8, 34 through 35. In calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Paphroditus understood that that the cost of discipleship is costly. It's a pricely cost. But, but, but because the gospel has grabbed him and has transformed him from the inside out, that he understands the weight of his sin, he understands that, that even more so having a proper understanding of his own sin, he understands how powerful and how magnificent the work of Christ on the cross was. And he lives that out by willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Paul does the same thing he says in Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life for any value, not, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To be transformed by the gospel is to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Now, that doesn't, I'm not saying that we all should be willing to, we should be willing to put our lives on the line for God, but, but that's not necessarily what I'm trying to get at here. Sometimes for sacrificing for the sake of the gospel is, is sacrificing other things, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's relationships. To sacrifice for the sake of the gospel is to, at certain times, say, I'm willing to, to stop seeking my own interest, that I'm willing to perhaps not take that job because it's going to take me away from my family. It's going to take me away from, from raising up my son. It's going to take me away from the church. Or, or it's sacrificing relationships with people who, who aren't edifying to you, who, who are seeking to bring you down, who aren't glorifying God. And it's saying, you know what, at this time, for my sake, for, 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 for my own growth and in, 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 in faith, I need to put a rest to that. Sometimes to, to sacrifice for the gospel is to be willing to serve for the gospel and serve people, serve your church, serve organizations, volunteer, whether it's at the local 
pregnancy crisis center, whether it's at the homeless shelter, wherever it may be, but it's saying, you know, I'm going to serve Christ in other areas. I'm going to give some of my time, some of my Saturday mornings, some of my afternoons to put in work for the sake of the gospel, to see people come to preach the gospel and see people come to know the living God as their Lord and Savior. If I may add a caveat here, sometimes being willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel is sometimes knowing when to say no. As, as someone who, who I would say I've been abused by the church in the past, where I've served and served and served, and I was at a church six days out of seven days, and I, I left that church burnt out, exhausted. I didn't go back to church for almost a whole year because I just was hurt about how the church, no one ever stopped and said, take the day off. That sometimes it's realizing that, that for our own self, to be preaching the gospel ourselves is to say no at certain times. You know, that's kind of counter to what I, what I, I was just saying, but I, I believe in that. I've been a part of it, and, and sometimes the church unknowingly, and sometimes knowingly, will abuse its members by overtaxing them, overburdening them. So sometimes we have to be the ones to say no for our own faith, for our own edification, for our own growth. Even though I was at the church six days out of seven days, I still was not growing in my relationship with Christ. And and that's what's most important. Lastly, I just I like to point out as as we read read, read this passage that there was no mentions of any specific gifts. Paul, Paul doesn't go to talk about the gifts that Timothy has or, or the gifts that Epaphroditus has or, or, or some of the offices they may hold within the church. He simply just mentions men and their willingness to, to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel and their willingness to have compassion for other peoples because they've been transformed by the gospel. I mention that because you do not have to hold an official position in a church to be helpful or to be worthy of any praise or honor. That these men simply, they just, they were brave, they were courageous, they were loving to, to, to the church body. And that's what Paul's trying to get at here. That truth, truth be told, that these are all qualities that we can have in ourselves. That he doesn't mention any specific gifts or any specific offices because, truth be told, we are all capable of showing more compassion to other people. That we are all capable of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're all capable of putting others' interests before ourselves. And that we are all capable to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. These are all qualities that, that even if we do not have them, that we, we see ourselves, we're not, we're not really a compassionate, a merciful people. I don't really have patience like that. But these are all things that we could be praying for the Holy Spirit to develop within us. And I believe that's why Paul specifically doesn't mention anything, any office, any gifts or anything like that. Because he's trying to show us that these are all qualities that should be true of all believers, that we should be praying for the Holy Spirit to develop these in us, for us to have compassion for our brothers and sisters, for us to grow in our boldness and proclaim the gospel of Christ. 
These are all qualities that we can have, that we should be praying for. And I believe that is why I just wanted to point that out, that this, he's not specifically doesn't mention anything, because I believe these are all qualities that we all could be having and be praying for God to develop them more in us. So as we go about the rest of our day in the week, we do come back to this passage that these are men, these are role models in the faith. These are tangible examples of people who, who've been transformed by the gospel and love people and, and care for people and care to preach the gospel and see people come saved. That as we go about the rest of our week, that we look to these men as role models, as people that we want to mimic in our lives, as men who we want to live like. That is my prayer for, for us as a church as we go about the rest of this week, that we, we come to be a people of, of, of compassion, that we come to be a people of, of boldness in proclaiming the gospel, that we start to seek the interests of other people before our own, and that we're willing to do sometimes the hard things for the sake of the gospel because it's better for other people and perhaps not better for us. That is my hope and prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you, Lord, and we ask that, that as we go about the rest of this day, as we go about the rest of this week, Lord, that, that you make us more people who have more compassion, people who, who are bold in their faith and who are willing to share your love and share the truths of your gospel with others. Lord, that, that as we go about this week, that, that sometimes... We may, have to make, we may have to make a hard decision, Lord, but that we put the interests of others before our own, Father God. That we're willing to make that hard decision, Father God, that may not benefit us, but it benefits the church. It benefits you, Father God. Be with us. Keep us safe, Lord. As we go about this day, Lord, may we take this day that we have off to spend more time with you, Lord to be in, in, in all of you throughout the day, Lord, to seek you more today, Lord, and we take advantage of the Sabbath, Father God. Keep us safe, Lord. Give us traveling mercies as we head home. May we be a blessing to our families and to our friends, Father God. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.